This is Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to BR Football Ranks. Turn up squad, 100 episodes for the pod from the Melon Maestro, the Prince of Poets and the Rank God. So this is a huge thank you to you guys locked in who come back every week from Bogota to Berlin, from the California coastlines to the deltas of the Rhone and from the Bay of Bengal to our gang back at home. We love you unconditionally. You the real MVPs. The Rank Squad is built on your listening sprees. And to our wonderful guests from Weston to Reese James, from Fonzie to Divock and all our other huge names, to the guys at BR who let us chat about what we love and who keep us on course when push comes to shove to dj for his knowledge and what's going down that's right and to sam for his boldness and his tactical insight we're still out here having fun and we pray that you are too and that ranks will continue to be something special to you we've had the big hitters we've gone viral and we've charted a hundred down but let's have it right we're just getting started. This is BR Football Ranks. My name is Jack Collins. Welcome to your favorite football podcast on our 100th episode. And as I'm, I am joined as ever by Mr. Sam Tyler Rank God. Sam, how are you? I'm oh, tired, mate. 100 in. It's taking its toll, hasn't it? Taking yeah. its toll. I mean, I've, I've entered my 30s during this podcast. It's been, it's been rough. Been quite the ride. It's been quite the ride. And of course, our transfer guru, the melon maestro, Mr. Dean Jones. Welcome back. Hello, mate. You got me all revved up there. God, a bit of emotion, remembering some of the good times, you know, thinking we started off around that little table in a dark room, didn't we? And um, started recording there. Then we had a lovely studio. And now we are, well, all in our own houses, aren't we? So um, it's been quite quite a few changes along the way. A little trip to America in between. But um yeah, still loving it, lads. Still loving it. Exactly. I was going to give you the first of the, the mini rankings today, should we say. This is going to be a very traditional episode. We are fully doing hot takes, a main ranking and a roulette wheel. So, you know, everything you could possibly ask for it, it is back in this episode. But I'm going to start off with a quick question. Uh, what's your favorite moment? 100 episodes in, quickly, on the, on the fly. Sam, I'll go to you first. I should have known that you'd throw me under the bus like this. Um, there have been, oh, there have been some amazing ones, right? Um, the one that sticks out immediately is is the Alfonso Davies interview, just because of what he's become this season, and how personally attached we as a three have kind of become to his career, and how proud of him we are that he's lifted his first Champions League trophy. Okay, it was nothing to do with us. It was nothing <laughs> to do with us, but but. That was awesome to identify uh, a player like that because that's what we've been doing since the, the podcast inception, right? Kai Havertz, Xiao Felix, you come to us. We'll talk about them before they hit the mainstream. Fonzie was another one. We sought him out. We wanted to speak to him. We knew he'd be big. We didn't think he'd be this big this quick, uh, but he kind of encapsulates what this podcast is about for us, identifying hot prospects and then trying to have a conversation with them and ingratiate, ingratiate yourself with them and, and try and support them and celebrate their careers. And that's what Fonzie's done. That's what we've done for him. Yeah, absolutely. Dean, your, uh, your favourite moment? I mean, just can't beat the Chicago episode, I don't think. You know, us doing Fox Pops at Chicago Fire, wherever that episode is. Was it the Schweinsteiger one? Is that the same episode? Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, so go it back. Second, it was the second one. We did two that week. Oh, did we? Go back and listen to both of those if you haven't. Um, but the Vox Pops at Chicago Fire, the answers that we got from that were just magnificent. Um, I still think about them all the time. And all then the the, inter- the interview with Mike McGee, in, and then obviously Mike in the McGee. shot in the in the pizza restaurant, we, it was everything that episode. We only everything. we only knew Mike for about 
what, six or seven hours in our entire lives, and Sam counts him as one of his best mates. <laughs> and I'm supposed to doing so because I still think about him all the time as well. Well, there we have it. There we have it. And the rank squad continues to go from strength to strength. We probably should move on. We've got a lot to get through this episode. And you'll be very excited to know that it is the predictions episode. Now, Sam hates this episode every year. We're going to go back, look back at what Sam predicted for last season. Uh, probably give him a bit of grief and then <laughs> get him to do the same for this season. So I know that Sam's excited about that. But before we get onto it, Sammy, I would throw to you first. What is something that we need to know about? Right. So this week on BR Football, I put together something on the best ever transfer windows that clubs have had. And it was inspired by the fact that Chelsea have had, well, so far, a remarkable window and it threatens to get even better. You know, people talking about whether or not this could be one of the best ever. So I thought, okay, well, if it is one of the best ever, what are we comparing it against? What's the benchmark? How good do these players have to be? So that got me thinking while I was writing about, you know, what the worst transfer windows ever were as well. And you can read the, the written article for the best transfer windows on BR football on the app on the website. But I'm going to tell you about one that we're experiencing right now, which is the complete opposite. I'd say that Valencia in 2020, in the summer, right now are shaping up to be in the category for the worst transfer window in history. And this is quite upsetting. We've hinted at talking about this a, a couple of times over the last few weeks, but haven't really got the chance to do it. But this is that chance. And there's some pretty horrendous top level decision making that is crushing the soul of this club. And the owner is selling off playing assets. He's not buying replacements. The fans are concerned. They're angry. They've lost club legends. They've lost players for too cheap. They're asking questions. What the hell's going on? And the owner and his daughter in particular is laughing at them and goading them on Instagram stories saying, this is our club. My family owns this club. We can do whatever you want. You're not important. And to put myself in those shoes, I'd be absolutely heartbroken. Um, so for those that don't have the context, Valencia's owner Peter Lim and the Meriton Holdings group have made some pretty strange calls over the years. I mean, they, they fired a successful manager because they thought he was too popular and, uh, and, and too powerful in the dressing room. <laughs> Obviously, they just won the Copa del Rey against Barcelona and finished top four. What do you expect? But that's why they sacked one manager, replaced him with a completely out-of-his-depth replacement. They've had a bad season. Then they've sold Ferran Torres for too cheap. They've let Danny Parejo, a genuine club legend, let go for free to rivals Villarreal. Francis Coquelin has followed him for, again, too cheap. Rodrigo has joined Leeds and Ezekiel Garay has been released with an ACL injury. So five starters from last year, gone. No replacements. Parejo wasn't even given a press conference. He had to host his own Zoom call and broke down into tears when his son asked, why, why have you left Valencia, Dad? Why have you left Valencia? He's been there for nine years. He's an adopted Valencian. I think it's disgusting. And to have the owner's daughter just frolicking in it and, and bathing in it and goading these, these fans on Instagram all the while, it's just, it's really unsettling. And something you need to know is that Valencia are, are imploding. They are full on imploding. And they're in the midst of what could be the worst ever transfer window. Yeah, it's just all a bit of a shambles over there, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, we talked about it briefly in terms of VRAL have been the side that have benefited most they've picked up a wonderfully dynamic duo in Empreo and, and Coquelin both who still have so much to offer in the Liga and to sell them to you know local rivals just you know to let them go just on all of these things it just seems really strange I mean they've made a lot of money they you know you look you look back at these transfers yes like you say not enough and I completely agree in terms of you know what what it's going to be but you know we're looking at a kind of 70 million haul here um, for these players and it's, it's to be intriguing now to see what happens they've been linked uh, with Matteo Genduzzi they've been linked with a couple of other players uh, around, oh, around 
He'll go anywhere. He just he just needs to get out from under Arteta. Um, I, but I mean, look, they've those. been linked to players, sure, but they haven't taken a, like they were. They had a chance to sign Yanel Herrera, one of my favourites from Man City, in exchange for Ferran Torres. They could build him into the deal, and they didn't do it. And Herrera's now just gone back to Granada for another season on loan. So while I'm obviously delighted about that, they've they're, they're not only not signing players that are actively passing up opportunities presented to them to try to rebuild the squad. They have five starters down and zero replacements and they are openly rejecting offers to help replace those players I, like, I don't know where this ends for Valencia but we've seen clubs in La Liga slip down the table very harshly very quickly Villarreal got relegated in the last what five or six years it was like the, 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 I'm not saying Valencia are going down but like if they sell two more starters and don't replace them I don't really see how they can even pretend to want to finish in the top 10 let alone the top sort of 13-14 yeah, no, it's, it's it's a very strange situation and one that's being, well, we've seen clubs, Dean, you know, ruined from the top down before and it does look a little bit like it's going that way in the Mestalla. Yeah, I mean, they thought things were bad when Gary Neville was manager. It's not even going to compare by the sound of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I actually went to Valencia last season um, and I loved it. I have to say, you know, it was a, it was a place I'd never visited before. Um I was actually there on a, like a stag do bachelor party and um, made a point of making sure I got to a game while I was there. So even though I was in a very hungover state, I did drag myself to a midday kickoff in the beating sun. Um, um, there's a last minute goal in that game, but it was it was just a, such a cool place to go in the Mastaya. Like everything around it, like the stadium is just like in the middle of the city. Like there's little cafes and bars around it, and like there's a place that they just. They just live for the club so much and it, you, you become part of it so quickly, even just with one visit. And so uh, it is really sad when it, when it happens. Obviously, we've seen it happen to plenty of clubs in, in England too. You know, you think how you think that big clubs can't fall away and then you remember what happened to clubs like Leeds United and how long it's taken to actually get back. So, you know, I'm sure that Valencia do have plans to, to fix this, but if they don't, Sam's right. Um, it doesn't take a lot to just get stuck on the bottom of that league and, and not be able to get out of the rut. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, let's take it onwards, Dean. Things that maybe not you need to know, but uh, things that you've enjoyed. You've been away for a week. You've had a, you had a bit of time off. Uh, what are you coming back to us with? Yeah, so I've been off finally moving house, lads. It took six months, but I've done it. I've moved house. Um, so I can't say that football has been at the forefront of my mind because I've just been very relieved and excited to get in here. But... I have had some football in my life because the Amazon Prime documentaries come out in the last couple of days. Um, Tottenham Hotspur, all or nothing. And only three episodes have been released, but honestly, I smashed straight through them. Like, oh, it's it, amazing. It's, it's amazing. amazing. I'm just, I just cannot wait. I can't believe they've only released three because I can't wait week by week. Like, they need to give us another batch. Um, and the biggest take from it so far is that, you know, I've spoken in this podcast many times about how much I don't like Jose Mourinho. I've talked about how I hated the time I interviewed him and he just stared at me like I was a moron. Um, <laughs> and this, this documentary so far has won me over. I kind of like Jose at the moment. Now, I know at the moment, like the stage that they've got to in the season, it's still very early days in Jose's reign. Um, but the way that he, he is with the players, it's... It's a side to him that you haven't actually seen properly, like behind closed doors and how he does forge relationships. And as a football insider, like you, I obviously hear stories throughout a season and it's been a couple of times you just see snippets of what's gone on actually at the club and things I've heard and over the past year. And you're like, 
oh, that was right. That, that's what they were talking about. And they told me about that. Things like Serge Aurier, like he treats Serge Aurier very strangely. Like he's always playing, but he just seems to not like him at all. And like really digs him out, doesn't he? It's, it's bizarre. I mean, do you not know think that maybe, so first of all, I'd say that you know that Mourinho started Tottenham happy. We've only got three, three episodes. Yeah. And uh, he's going to turn and don't be tricked by it is what I would say. Or don't, don't, don't be suckered in by it quite so soon. Um, also in the documentary, Jose Mourinho complains that no one can pronounce his name correctly and you are doing that. So brush up, man. Jo- <laughs> Jose, Jose Mourinho is Jose. not Jose. And he literally complains about that. So you've, you've watched him do that. Yeah, um, but, you, but you know what we talk about when people talk about Mourinho being, you know, washed up and, 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 and not a top level coach anymore, which is obviously very premature. But some, the, the key point here is that like, sometimes his methods maybe feel a little bit outdated. Do you think when he calls Serge Aurier out in the middle of a team meeting, and says, I'm terrified of you giving away penalties because of VAR. He's or not wrong, think, though, is he? Of course he's not wrong, <laughs> but do you think that's maybe an example of where, uh, you know, in comparison to some other managers who might just take that player aside and be like, look, dude, you're not very good at this. Like, can you please improve or I'm going to have to drop you rather than call you out in front of 40 people? Aurier just sits in the meetings, like looking perplexed at why he's being picked and on the whole time. It's just before the game. It's just before the game. It's just before. And All he's going to be thinking of as he walks out on the pitch, like VAR penalty, going to give one. VAR <laughs> penalty, going to give one. Yeah. So <laughs> I just I, I watched that. I just thought maybe that's an example of, of where of where the, the kind of modern personality of a footballer in a dressing room. Maybe that's that's another example of where where he's kind of got it wrong a little bit. Uh, but it's fascinating to watch him build these bonds and and then also maybe in some cases destroy them as well. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, Spurs in general are in the news at the moment. They've just signed one of my favourite footballers, Matty Doherty, a uh, right back. And him with Hoiberg, Sam, who we talked about a little bit on our, one of our BR videos in the app, two very sensible, solid signings for Spurs, which is kind of not what you associate with their transfer business over the last sort of five, six years. Yeah, I mean, it's not thrilling stuff, but it, they are the kind of... You can see that Jose is um, is very clearly identifying and pursuing like personalities and types of player. And they do feel like very, very Jose players. And they feel like solid, like like good, solid sort of seven out of 10, like this player is reliable, this player is consistent signings, which, you know, I guess Spurs haven't really had, particularly at fullback. I mean, Aurier is great going forward, but a massive liability defensively. Like Jose is completely correct to be terrified of Aurier when VAR's around. So a right back was definitely a priority. And to pick up Doherty for like, like 15 million, it sort of took me back a little bit. I think it's one it's of like the best deals, isn't it? It's one of the best deals of the window. And I was trying to rationalize it from Wall's perspective. And the only thing I could come to was, well, they run by Jorge Mendes. Jose Mourinho is a, is a Jorge Mendes client. I wonder if he's moving his assets on here. I wonder if Wolves have actually finally experienced the other side of the George Mendes run philosophy, whereas up until now it's been nothing but positives. That's basically all I could find to rationalise it because it doesn't make sense to sell Doherty for £15 million otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adama Traore at, at right wing back, I guess. Well, that's what, um, it's what Harry said when he was on the podcast, isn't it? Yeah, Ainsley Maitland-Niles has been very heavily linked uh, I mean, I'm still not sure that Arsenal should be getting rid of that player, but if they do have to find cash, then fine. And he can play right wing back. So maybe there's something to come. But point blank, Doherty, 15 million, 
bargain brilliant signing yeah good good business from Tottenham and they're front and centre of the world right now football very much because of that documentary and we are all looking forward to new episodes being released to see how how it turns when when Jose starts to to feel a little bit more angry I'm, I'm actually very very excited not pronouncing but, his name properly we're trying to wind him up here <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the Portuguese elements of my life look the Pauletta the Pauletta shirt's still over there um, I'm going to finish this with something that I love uh, which is the news that Sandro Tolali is going to sign for AC Milan rather than Inter or Juventus. Now, I like this because he's an AC Milan fan, and that makes me very happy. And I was reading a thing the other day, so 10 years ago, when he was sort of 11 years old, he would have been there watching his club with his dad and watching Zlatan Ibrahimovic score goals for Milan while he was supporting them. And now will basically be the man in charge of, of creating chances for him from deep, which is, I mean, what is that's got to be a dream, hasn't it? And we talked about this on transfers in 20 when it looked like into a pretty much nailed on to get him Dean. And I was saying, yeah. oh, it must be quite sad as a Milan fan to know that you have to go to Inter to really move your grasses around. And Sam, I saw you tweet about this and, and saying that it felt weird that it was just going to let it happen, that Juventus and Inter were just allow, allowing such a talent to go to an upwardly mobile rival. But I will say that I am absolutely delighted. And this is the kind of signing that makes me very happy. We like Milan. I think it would be fair to say on this podcast, we're, we're excited for them to return to the top tier of European football. And this feels like the kind of signing that is going to push them along that road. And that makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of Milan to come in the main ranking, to be honest with you. So we'll, we'll get even more on that. But uh, yeah, I just found it a bit weird that Juve and Inter obviously have pole position in these kind of scenarios. We're allowing Tonali to go to AC Milan. They've obviously, you know, Tonali can go to Milan because he's a, he's a boyhood fan. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that Juve and Inter have essentially withdrawn their interest for a la- to allow that to happen. And while neither of them are crying out for a central midfielder, Inter have about a billion of them and Juve have just signed Weston McKennie. I would say that letting the future of Italy's midfield walk to a different club is a mistake in the same way that allowing Marco Verratti to go to PSG back at the start of last decade was a massive mistake. And I'm just surprised it's happened again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I would just finish this period, uh, this section, should we say, with a, a statement that is no surprise to me that not only did Zlatan sign his contract renewal, but the Tenali links became almost concrete uh, the moment after it was announced that AC Milan would have to travel to Talat to see to play Shamrock Rovers in the second round of the Europa League qualifying. Um, and nobody wants to miss that opportunity to go and play uh, at Shamrock. So, so there it is. And that you can see the power of the League of Ireland in full, full play here. Right, after the break, we are going to be doing Sam's predictions for next season and looking back his ones for last season. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is prediction time. Before we ask you what you are going to predict going forward, Sam, we are going to take a little look back at what you predicted last year. And Dean, I'm going to ask you to kind of grade Sam, to, to mark him out of 10 on, on how well he did with these predictions. So we'll start right. at the if bottom. You bring, if you bring them forward, then I'll try, and, I'll try and defend myself for each one very quickly. Okay, your fifth prediction was Leon make an Ajax run in this year's Champions League, which Yay! would make them semi-finalists. Nailed it. I was calling that a success when they hit the quarters, to be honest. Uh, but they got to the semi. So uh, I put that as my long shot and it came in. I mean, your, your big bets covered all the other ones that you got wrong. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we start good, but we get, we get worse from here. Uh, Dean, I mean, it's hard to give him anything less than a 10 there, really. I'll give him a nine. 
<laughs> no, no pleasing some people. No pleasing some people. Okay, here's one. Arsenal make the top four. Oh, crap. <laughs> Can you defend this, Sam? Um, not really. I, they, um, I think they had the talent. Uh, I underestimated just how poorly it could go. I mean, they just, they just finished second in the Europa League and they just bought Nicola Pepe and had a Bamiyang, but and some, and some, I think I was excited about the summer business, Ceballos and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think Arteta showed us what this team can be and showed us that they can be in and amongst that, but obviously what they did from August to December just totally ruined it, didn't they? Would make the uh, addition that you did actually say the phrase, I really back the manager here. Um, <laughs> really? about Unai Emery Damn um, it. Okay, yeah. never mind. I mean they won a trophy they did win a trophy they won, they won well that was, that, that was this season but yeah they won the FA Cup like they have they have they have calibre to them Dean out of 10 7 7 I'll take it that's kind that's, that's well generous very kind that's have, locked in that's locked I'd in have been a three. the reason I've given him 7 is because I understand why he did it and I think it wasn't a bad shout and I don't want to be too harsh on Sam because there's worse marks to come Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, number three. Atletico win a trophy. So close. Yeah. They were was it penalties? They lost the copper the super copper on? Yeah, I believe it was the last a late I was, I was here, like like last two minutes, wasn't it? So they came within a couple minutes in the super copper. Oh, they botched the Copa del Rey hard. Um and the Champions League. Well, they beat Liverpool and I thought, hang on, this could be on, but it turns out it definitely wasn't on. Uh so bit of a shame. It was a near miss with the Super Copper, but that's like the lowest trophy that they can go for. So I'm not I'm not that proud of it. You did just one. say a trophy though. So you I you, did you yeah, been true, 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 true. Uh Dean out of ten? Two. Two uh, as rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. They were never gonna win a trophy last season. Terrible <laughs> two minutes away. Okay, all right. Number two. <laughs> Dortmund win the Bundesliga with Sancho at 20 goals and 20 assists when oh playing God. all 34 games. Well, one of those came true and he didn't play all 30, uh, didn't play 34, did he? So that we got, he got 20-20 in all comps. He didn't get 20-20 in just, in just the Bundesliga. He got 20-20 in all comps, which is a serious haul. So I'm quite pleased with that one. He played 24 games where he played like over 70 minutes. Um, yeah. And he ended on 17 goals and 17 assists in the Bundesliga and he got 2020 in all comps uh, i think this is a good prediction i, I yeah. actually really like this it's just a shame about the dortmund thing and like obviously oh, hansi the, the, flick you couldn't have predicted hansi flick no one no could. true true and the, the the table like with five games to go dortmund if they'd have beaten Bayern on that on that night then they were they were very much in that title race and the table in the end didn't look quite 13 representative. points behind, yeah. yeah it didn't look quite representative but I think we, I think we knew from about January when Hansi Flick really, really got his hands on those buying players that that wasn't going to happen. But Sancho, I'll take Sancho because that was pretty bold, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a big prediction. Dean, out of ten. Yeah, that was a really good one. To be fair, I'm going to give him eight. Um, to be fair, you know, Dortmund they just bottled it again, didn't they? And I mean, they keep putting themselves in good positions, and they just, as Mourinho says, they haven't got the balls for it. So um, yeah, that was a good prediction, Sam. Well done. Man. Uh, and your last prediction was that Lukaku would win the Capo Cannoniere with a minimum of 25 goals uh, if he was playing in 38 games. Lukaku scored 23 goals, um, yeah. where he only missed two games and he played three kind of shorter minutes. Um, but it was 13 underneath Immobile. Yeah, I mean, so Immobile, he, he matched or broke the record, didn't he? Mm -hmm, um, I will admit I did not see that coming. 
Uh, also, Immobile scored a billion penalties, so actually none of his goals count. So Lukaku, I think, won it in the end. I think they gave it to him. <laughs> That's um, yeah. I mean, Dean Lukaku's had a brilliant season, but um, it was it was nowhere near this race. No, I mean you can only, you can't give Sam above a four out of ten for that that prediction. Um, I knew he'd bang. I knew he'd bang. 23 goals in 33 starts is good. And he got with 34 overall, I think. Like, he had a hell of a season. To be fair, when uh, Sam made that prediction, like, people were talking about Lukaku like he was, like, <laughs> has-been and just useless. So it was, it's quite a bold prediction at the time, wasn't it? And, um, you know, now, now everyone realising, oh, maybe Lukaku's not quite a, such a bad player after all. So, no, that is a good prediction. I'm going to give him a seven again on that one. Okay. All right. So, I mean, not as bad as you could have done. A quick shout out here uh, to Valentin on, on Twitter, who basically did a big thread about how Sam had done with his predictions. And it really helped me with my preparation for today's <laughs> pod, really. So, um, huge shout out to Valentin. That was um, very, very useful. Thank you, mate. And uh, he's got he's a brilliant thread that we will, we will retweet. So, you can, you can have a look at it yourselves. Um, but let's get on to this season, Sam. What have you got for us this year? Yeah, so I mean, usually for the predictions episode, I'm pretty downbeat and downcast, aren't I? Do you remember the last time when I came in and did these, the ones we've just reviewed? I was in a foul mood, wasn't I? Mm, um, yeah. I think I, we finished the recording and I think I went straight home. I was it was just, bank um, holiday weekend afterwards and uh, it was a, a strange old episode. But we, yeah, yeah you, was, were, you weren't in a good mood. I wasn't happy and I just went, I just went home straight away. Dean, Dean saw me lying on the sofa. I was horizontal at 2pm um, and he went, just go home, mate. I went, you know what? You're absolutely right. I just picked up my coat and left. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I say this because I feel much happier about what I'm going to present to you today, which probably means they'll, they'll do worse. Yeah. But, I spent like a good 36 hours on this, so go easy on me. Um, as ever, they are organized from five to one in terms of how likely I think they are to happen. Um, so the fifth one being a bit of a long shot and the first one being, let me just check what I've put there, more likely. I wouldn't call it a slam dunk. Um, but I'm going to follow the Leon train and try to predict the next Leon, aka the next Ajax. And I'm going to go even more rogue and I'm going to go for Benfica. And this is even more rogue because they haven't actually qualified for the Champions League yet. They've still got to play a game against Pauk in Greece. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Greece. Um, but we expect them to win that. Um, and once they've won that and they hit the group stage, I think Benfica are set for a really decent season. And they weren't last season, so this will be a turn up for the books, really. I really like some of the moves they made this summer. Uh, first up, they've brought back Jorge Jesus from Flamengo, where he just won the Copa Libertadores, and his record in Portugal is sparkling. He is a fiery and charismatic character, and I think that's probably what is needed to extract what, extract what they need from this squad, because this squad has underperformed quite badly over the last year. I actually think it's the strongest squad in Portugal. It shouldn't be losing the title to Porto, but they've underperformed. So Hugely. Jorge, they, were, they were so far off the pace. Yeah. So Jesus is, is the key to reigniting what is already a, a good cast of players. Um, and then they've added some good ones as well, haven't they? I mean, you've picked up Jan Vertonghen, who is a nice older head to pair with Ferro and Ruben Dias. Uh, they've got Luca Waldschmidt, they've got Pedrinho, who's they bought from Corinthians, who I really like as a, as a Brazilian sort of inverted right winger, left footed, cutting inside. I saw some reports today they're in for Darwin Nunez, who I've not seen play, but everyone I've spoken to says he's great. So they're actually loading up on their forward options, which is quite nice. And with Jesus involved as well, I actually think this is shaping up quite nicely for them. And remember, they've already got some good players like Pizzi's good, Ratford's good, Grimaldo is excellent. 
this, and they have a Delta wrapped re- reinvented as a defensive midfielder in yeah. the weirdest transfer news of all time ever. And still scoring bangers, of course. Uh, the last one he scored in pre-season against our friend Asmir Begovic was an absolute perler. So Benfica, I think, are shaping up nicely. This is, it's even bolder to say Benfica are going to do an Ajax than Lyon because they're outside the top five leagues. So they're going to get a poor seeding for the group and they're going to be up against it pretty much from the word go. But I just like where this team's headed. I think they're making the right signings and I think the managerial acquisition is, is huge. I mean, Jesus is, is, is a really big get for them and I think he'll put them on the right track and I guess I'm predicting good things for Benfica this year. This is going to be very funny when they don't qualify next week. Um, but aside uh, from that, let's, yeah. let's roll this on to number four. Man, I really hope they qualify. I don't want to get one down within a week. Um, okay, so... Again, we're following an old, an old template here. Um, it was a swing and a close miss for Atletico Madrid to win a trophy. So I'm back at you this season with another club beginning with A to win a trophy, AC Milan. Okay. So the options here for them are basically the Coppa Italia and the Europa League because, I mean, Milan are obviously a rising force, but I still think they're, they're a distance off the, the top order in Serie A. That's, that's fair to say. Um, the Milan we've seen since January has been awesome uh it's a well put together squad good recruitment and once Latan arrived they found this kind of focus and developed a winning mantra and the fact that they basically been binned off the idea of, of hiring Ralph Rangnick and, and continued with Stefano Pioli uh for another season after the good work he's done stabilizing the club last season is a really good move the continuity is there so yeah, I think I think that I think they're about I think they're ready to win something, and obviously it's not going to be the league. So I'm going to go for a, a trophy, probably a cup. Um, and again, you look through this team like Donnarumma, one of the best in goal. Kiar and Romagnoli, really strong centre back pairing. Teo Hernandez, awesome. Benassa, awesome. Sandro Tonali, we love. Brahim Diaz is going to sign on loan. Zlatan, Rebic, Rafael Leao, like they've got quality, they've got depth. Most importantly, they've got harmony and and this kind of winning mantra. Brought, brought by Zlatan, I think they're ready to make a next step up. And the next step is to, is to win something for the first time in ages, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dean, I saw your eyes roll. Think, think this one's premature? Just a kiss of death, really, isn't it? I mean, it means something's going to go wrong very soon at AC Milan. They, things have been looking so stable and comfortable and going nicely for them for the last few months. And now I'm really worried. Um, <laughs> stop. I stop. Just because I said it doesn't mean it can't happen. <laughs> it sort of does. <laughs> uh, I do think it might be. I do think it might be premature. I mean, definitely. I think it might be a season too soon, Sam. That's yeah, I, I mean, they're definitely in for a, a much better season, and they're going to be, you know, ambitious and certainly challenging. It's just like not many avenues to actually get a trophy, is there? Because you know they're not going to win the league, and as you say, this, this, so it's then a cup competition and. Um, lottery in it once you get no to it. yeah i know and the, the worry is that they might they might deprioritize de- the europa league later down the line if they're maybe in contention to to do something even better in 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 the league um and that would be a concern as well but i just figured that this is a team that as it's built as it's coached with the talent available it could win the europa league it could and it could win the Coppa italia they got to the semi-final last year and a pretty bad handball call in like the last minute in the first leg kind of robbed them of a of a chance to really go at that second leg against Juventus and make a fist of it. They only have to go one step further uh, and just ask VAR not to be terrible once to go into a final situation. So I appreciate what you say about it might be a bit early, but then if Zlatan's not around next year, I don't know what the mentality of the squad turns into. So that might be a year too late. So I sort of weighed it up and yeah. went for this. I mean, it is a big year, that's fair to say, because, you know, it's quite 
what will probably happen is if it doesn't go well, then all these players will start leaving straight away anyway. And we will be looking at another Milan rebuild, which we've seen so many times anyway. So maybe it is now or never. Maybe Sam's right. And once you get that first trophy, then you do start looking towards um, Scudetto and all the rest they, of it. They have, to, they, have, they, have to make this, um, they have to make this window count because the Zlatan renewal has taken up like quite a lot of their wage budget. Like I know it's only a year and I know he's, he's, he's getting on a little bit, but he's still a class player. He's still a star attraction. And his wage is not... It's not low. It's, it's like they're in a position now where their, their budget is kind of kind of done. Like they've bought the players, they've loaned Tonali with a, with a view to buy. I think they're in a sell to buy situation now because of the Zlatan contract renewal. So in that way, in with that move for Zlatan, they have to do something this season to really justify that. Okay. All right. What's in at three? Right. Number three. I don't know why I've got this at third. I don't believe in this anywhere near as much as I believe in the other two. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going for. I don't know why I do this to myself. I'm going for Man City to win the title okay. with, with or without Messi. Um, obviously, with Messi, if Messi signs, it becomes, it becomes more likely, but I think they can do it without him this season. I think the moves they've made this summer uh, have, have outlined, and the intended moves as well, have outlined how seriously they're going to take this. And what they're going out and doing is acquiring serious talent. I think they're probably going to make another two or three signings on top of, uh, on top of Ferran Torres and Nathan Ake. They might buy Messi. They'll definitely fix the holes in their team. They understand where it went wrong last season. They won't let that happen again. And, you know, the last time we saw a kind of wounded animal Pep Guardiola signed, you know, after his first season in England, he went out, he fixed all the holes in the team. He bought good quality players and they came back with an absolute vengeance. That was 17-18. They got 100 points. They were unstoppable. A Guardiola team with a point to prove. And that's what this is because they only won the Carabao Cup last year. Uh, I think that's... um, I think that's something to be feared. And when you contrast that to what Liverpool are doing, which is buying a backup left-back and then turning their nose up at Timo Werner and not being able to afford Kai Havertz and letting this Thiago Alcantara stuff drag on so long, there's only so much, so long you can go without freshening your look. As Harry Brooks, our previous guest, said, you know, you've got to freshen your look up. You've got to, you've got to change the way you play. You've got to change your style. And Thiago may be an attempt at that, but I don't think Liverpool are doing enough right now. The last thing I'd throw into the ring here is, and I don't want to accuse the players of like a lack of professionalism or anything because we know that's not the case. But have you noticed the sort of sentiment on Twitter from Liverpool fans that I have, which is like, they finally won the league. It was their objective for like 30 years and they've done it. And now they're just a bit like, huh, <laughs> right then, what now? And I'm not saying the players are going to be like that because they're driven and they're professional. But if we attribute a lot of Liverpool's success or some of it to, you know, that, that, that crowd feeling, Anfield roaring them on, they're, in, they're injecting them with that passion. If the crowd lose that edge and that well, lust... What, what crowd would be my first take? Well, I mean, first of all, we are, we're, we're going to get some fans back at some point, aren't we? Some, I mean, but I it's mean, not going to be the same, is it? No, but they're going to they're feed off it in, 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 in ways outside of just the stadium as well. Like the, the city, the buzz, the kind of desperation for all of that, it all fed into it. Again, not, not saying the players are just going to sack it in. That's ridiculous. But like just a little part of me is like, is there 5% of these guys that just goes, oh, we finally did it. Yeah, like and breathe, that's you, breathe out almost. It, it's the breathe out. It's what Man City did clearly after they just about beat Liverpool to the title by winning like 14 games straight and beating them by a point. The breathe out. What happens? And City are going about their business and Liverpool really aren't. And so I think the pendulum swings back into City's favour for this year. Yeah, I, I think this is a pretty reasonable prediction and I'm surprised that you gave it the 
prelim that you did where you're like, I'm not actually that sure about this. I think this is probably a more sensible prediction than AC Milan winning a trophy, if I'm being perfectly honest. Well, uh, fine. I mean, that's essentially that's why it's third in the list, not four. So I think initially I might have got it the right way around and then looked at it and just went, oh, but then I think... Yeah, but Premier were... League predictions are always going to be hard. I mean, Dean, I chuck it to you and just, you know, about City's signings, about the players they're bringing in. There's, there's this constant report that Kaladu Koulibaly is on the radar. Uh, De Laurentiis says he wants 70 million plus. Uh, you know, you think that if it doesn't work out with the whole Messi deal, then City surely will just pay that because at this point, that is the big missing piece left for City to address. I think they'll pay it anyway. I do. I I think that, you know, if Messi's going to arrive at Man City, I'd imagine that they're looking at other ways to fund that, whether it's, you know, sponsorships and and, um, ways of, other ways of getting money in. And, because that's a one-off deal that you just can't miss out on. And you just got to find a way to pay him £1 million a week and then you can off you go. Um, and Koulibaly is somebody that they've had, they've, they've had him on their radar for like a year and they've really been, they've had a strategy to how they're going to approach it and how, why, why he fits in so well. And they can't just abandon that because Messi's become available. Messi's just a huge bonus that they're going to have to find the money for. So... I think the Cooler Valley money is probably already there, to be honest. And it's just a case of can they get the deal over the line? Can they make sure that Chelsea don't nick him at the last minute? Because I think they're still sniffing around. Um, I don't think Chelsea are, are finished in this transfer window just yet. But Man City, you know, I, I think you're right here. I really do. I think that Man City will have a hunger. I think that they will have a freshen up. I think that um, there'll be a few roles changing within the side. Foden will be become more of a part of the side. Um, there's Ferran Torres to come into the mix. I think Riyad Mahrez will now step up a gear. You know, um, he knows that there's no Leroy Sané there anymore and he's, there's more of a role for him to fill in that squad and a more important role he's got to step up. And then on the flip side of all this, I think that, I know I talked about it last year and the fear of Liverpool going stale and it definitely didn't happen, but I do worry about that that front line, and I think that that's as a Liverpool fan what I would be concerned about. You know, not getting Timo Werner, allowing him to go to Chelsea—that was a blow. Um, Minamino is, you know, we'll see more of him, but is he going to be up to the? Is he going to be up to the challenge of stepping in for Mane or Salah when they surely suffer a spell out of this team? I mean, can that three up front carry on for an entire season again? Like, surely not. Like, Their fitness levels are incredible. They are incredible, incredible yeah. But I, I just think it seems such a big gamble to think, well, they're all great. Let's hope they can carry on again. Look, if they do, then, then Liverpool will still be there. But if one of them is not there, I'd be concerned. And the other thing is, is Thiago. They have to get that deal done because Klopp wants him. And you've already missed out on one on Timo Werner for really not that much money. To not sign Thiago at 30 million is a joke. It's a honest. snip. Well, it depends. If, if Klopp want. wants him, if Klopp wants him, then they should go out and do that. The question whether he fits tactically and stylistically is a different question and uh, and must be addressed. But if Klopp wants Thiago, then Liverpool need to go out and sign Thiago. Absolutely, that and you know, and I think that for that reason, you know, it seems to me that Klopp's the one, the driving. Um, you know, so if it's a bit of a luxury buy, then it's a bit of a luxury buy. But, you know, when you're Premier League champions, when you won the Champions League be- the year before that, you should be able to have a luxury buy. And I'm not, it's not like he's a luxury player, is he? He's, he's going he's gonna to drive that team to, to another level. Um, and I think it would be good for everyone in the squad to have somebody like him around. So 
Um, I think it's important that they get him through the door. And if they don't, then I'm definitely back in Sue. Okay, Sam, you've got a fair amount of support on that one. Let's move on to number two. I do, yeah, I do. Uh, okay, number two. So, Aubameyang is going to top score in the Premier League by five goals or more. Yeah, Ooh. my FPL team, that's great news. That is yeah. a huge call, but I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was close run this, this season, wasn't it? So, it's quite, it's quite a big deal to win it by that much. It's not every year that someone like Salah runs away with 30-odd goals or so. Like, this year, he and Vardy and Ings were neck and neck, 23-22. He lost out by one in the end. Uh, Sterling, Salah, Mane were all in that mix. But I think, he'll, I think he'll separate himself from that pack this year. And I think Timo Werner, by the way, will add himself into that chasing pack. I think he's going to have a really big first season. That's a, maybe not, not a sub-prediction, but I just wanted to get Timo Werner's name in there because I sort of considered him for a top scorer award as well. But I think Aubameyang will edge it for two reasons. First of all, he takes penalties, which automatically puts you in a very good spot when it comes to these rankings. And then second, like Arteta's system is literally designed for Aubameyang to take the same type of shot from the same place on the pitch every time. Every, all of it is designed to get him cutting off the left flank into that area just on, the, just on the corner of the box. The same goal that you saw in the Community Shield, the same goal that he scored in the FA Cup final. He is superb at that type of shot. And Arteta has designed a system which just allows him to do it over and over again. And I think he's going to score an absolute bucket load. And Dean, I'm not surprised he's in your fantasy team because he's a midfielder now and his goals are worth even more points, right? Six, five points for a, for a goal now for Aubameyang in, in, in fantasy. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and he has Fulham first week. So that's a guaranteed hat trick yeah. and he'll streak away with this, this golden boot race right from the get-go, you'd imagine, Sam? A nice early start, yeah. Get four, get four under his belt from the off and then, uh, oh. and, then, and then take off from there. Yeah, I mean, look, so... so can I just say that it's ridiculous that he's a midfielder on fantasy? Yeah, ridiculous. of course it is. Like, Absolutely. It's like, kind of ruined it. Not, and I don't even play and I'm angry about it. We will, uh, we will actually be having our FPL look next week uh, when we do a full Premier League preview. We'll uh, have a little FPL section and uh, the Rank Squad Fantasy League will be starting again. So we will be doing... I'm going to win it Dean, Dean's back. He believes that the, uh, the old Walton oh, Rifles oh, are going to be back. <laughs> the Walton Rifles are going to be back at the top of the league. Uh, and that leaves us on to prediction numero uno. Sam, what's top of your list? Yeah, what's it, is, it is something that we talked about last week. So we, we can sort of throw this to Dino for a bit of a fresher perspective. But I think for the first time in nine years, a team not named Juventus is going to win Serie A. I think it's going to be Inter Milan. So Milan, the city, is in for a pretty good season, according to me. Um, we talked about it last week, but Conte now we know for a fact has stayed because he's committed. So last week we weren't sure if he was going to, you know, combust spontaneously on the street or not. But this time we know he's going to stick around for another year, complete the second year of this project. And when you add in the fact that Inter have probably the strongest midfield in Serie A, they have Conte and therefore his system, which can almost always beat you. And they have Lautaro and Lukaku up front as a connection, which is just outstanding. And they have Hakimi on the right flank the new Micon, the Moroccan Micon, San Siro 2.0. I think add all this to the fact that Juve are obviously a weaker side. And yeah, they have Ronaldo, but they're an aging side with a midfield that doesn't quite work. And Andrea Pirlo is just a huge question mark. I cannot say whether he'll be a wild success, a dramatic failure or anything in between. But as long as that question mark exists and with Inter upwardly mobile and with Conte cottoned on for another season, I think it's time for a changing of the guard up there. I really think it is. I think it's Inter's year. This will be the first time since 2011 that someone not named Juventus has won the Scudetto. That was Milan, by the way. So it's been since 2010 
that Inter have won this. They won the treble that year. And I think it's, I think it's finally returning to Milan, the Scudetto. It's a big call. DJ, uh, can you see it? You, I mean, this is, this is new, new territory for you, but can you see someone upsetting the apple cart and, and stopping Juventus' 10 in a row? No, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, it depends, really, doesn't it? Like, what... I want to see like Pirlo's Juve, obviously, like what, what he's setting out to do, you know, with, with Dybala and, and Ronaldo, like what, what's going on around those guys. Uh, there's been talk there trying to sign Luis Suarez. Um, I don't yeah, know. Why not, why know. not replace Higuain with Suarez? Nice. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think that's probably a good move for Suarez at this stage. I mean, at Barca, I know he had a lot of critics at, at the end, but I feel like Serie A, he is, He's probably a good step for him at that at that point, and I can see Suarez scoring a lot of goals. So I, I am really interested to see which forward arrives at Juve um, in the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, I, I see the risk factor with Pirlo, and you really don't know what you're getting. But based on everything else I've seen in his career, I'm going to presume he's a genius, and they win the league. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sam. So your five are Benfica to do an Ajax or Leon. Yeah. AC Milan winning a trophy, Man City winning the Premier League, Aubameyang getting the golden boot by a distance, and Inter Milan winning the Scudetto in Italy. That's a, it's some bold predictions there, Sammy. I'm, I'm proud of you. Yeah, I mean, they've got to be bold, otherwise they're boring. Uh, and they can't be crazy, otherwise, well, what's the point in listening? So somewhere in the middle of those things, I exist. Dean, have, have you got a, a little prediction for us? One for the, for the season? Really? No, I think there'll be a lot of games played, a lot of goals scored, <laughs> trophies won in every, every continent. <laughs> there we are. There you have it. You, you heard it here first. Right after the break, we're returning to roulette. We have not had a roulette wheel in a little while and we have asked for your questions. We have 12 of them set up and the wheel is in play. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. Well, I'm actually genuinely so excited to bring back the roulette wheel. Like, I'm oh. so, so gassed. I've missed it. Have you missed it, Dean? Oh, so emotional. You see, I posted it a few weeks ago, didn't I, on my Instagram, just a picture of it and saying, I hope somebody picked this up when we moved offices because we're not actually go- We've actually spoken about this on the pod before, but the studio that we recorded all our plays, our pods in doesn't actually exist anymore. Since we suddenly were thrown into quarantine, um, we've moved offices and that place doesn't exist anymore. And we have a new studio apparently in another part of London and we've never seen it. You've never seen it. I can confirm that the roulette wheel is safe. Yeah. Um, don't worry. I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have let that happen. I love the rank squad too much. But let's get the mini roulette wheel spinning and uh, off we go. Okay. First question. This is a good question. I like this. Serana one on Instagram said, out of our Upamecano and Lautaro, who would help Barcelona the most right now? I'll start with you, Sam. I mean, they'd all help. But I think you discount Alwar immediately just because although he's obviously amazing and would be great for Barca, it's not their problem position. Centre-back and striker is. I'd say, I'd say Lataro, actually. Um, I think the energy that he provides up front, along with obviously the, the clinical edge and the youth that he provides, would probably go, probably go the most way to transforming this side and its ability to play higher up, ability to press, ability to be more intensive and aggressive. And if that's Barca's biggest problem, that they're old and slow, then they have to play deep because they can't play high up because... 
they don't have the energy to do it. You, you remedy that by adding that energy up front and getting younger up front and getting more aggressive. And Lautaro is all of those things epitomized. So I think Lautaro, although obviously Upper Meccano would do, would do a stellar job back there as well. Dean? Well, Barcelona's biggest problem is going to be uh, the fact they haven't got Messi. And I just can't imagine Upper Meccano playing the Messi role. Um, <laughs> He's very good, but... <laughs> for, all of, for all of his strengths, playing like Messi in, <laughs> in Barcelona front line, I can't envisage it. I just can't. So I'm going to go Lautaro because I think he might have a, just a, a better chance of filling the void of, of the main man himself. Yeah, I mean, I think something for me is that what Barcelona really failed to do in, in years is break the lines. And Dahopa Meccano is actually really good at breaking the lines from deep. And actually, it would probably free up the rest of that midfield to actually be able to carry the ball forwards, to be able to, to work some passing lanes. I think that you need to build from the back. And I'm going to go with the Meccano because I think that they need a refresh from, you know, almost I was like, you can leave the keeper because obviously my pal, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, is still one of the best in the world. But aside from that, I think there needs a refresh all over the place. And I would start that at the back. So I would go with, with, with Diop and Meccano. Let us spin this wheel. Number eight. So I've just written Van der Beek here because I've got so many questions about Donny van der Beek and his transfer to Manchester United. I'm going to read a few of them out. Feddy Huck says, how does Van der Beek fit into Man United's midfield? Nihal says, views on Van der Beek. Ropey says, thoughts on VDB uh, and Omar Corley. Where does this work for United in terms of Donny? So Dean, you first this time. Firstly, I mean, by the time this podcast goes out, this might be official, but at the time of recording, it's very much just uh, mooted, shall we say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, United have, have looked at Van der Beek for like 18 months now um, and probably really should have done it a year ago, to be honest. Um, he was my favourite Ajax player in the season when they got to the Champions League semi. Um, and that, is, that is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> what you've just said. He can't be. He cannot have been your favourite player in that Ajax run. He was. No, I refuse to believe that. He was. I promise you. I think I even said it. I think I said it on here. Anyway, is Man United the right club for him? I really hope so. <laughs> like I hope they don't waste this because he could really. Like I think he's well suited for the Premier League, and I just hope that this isn't another season where Man United is all over the place. I hope that they finally got a bit of. Um, shape and a bit of direction. They, obviously, they were looking at Madison. They looked at Jack Grealish. They tried to get Jude Bellingham. So they have been after a midfielder. Um, and it's just that they've moved for Van der Beek eventually at, at quite a decent price, it seems, to be honest. Um, so I, I do think it's a good signing. I, I do, you know, whether or not you, you, know, you think signing a defensive midfielder is an exciting move or not is a, is a different thing. But I think it will allow, you know, Fernandez to do his thing Looks like Pogba staying, so he didn't have to worry about defending anymore either. And then adds another option to the Fred and Matic and McTominay combinations, I guess. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't see him as the as the defensive player. That's how they're talking about it. That's what the, you know. The people that cover the club are saying this is this is the this is what they're imagining. I, I agree with you. I don't. I hope he's not just. 
playing back there as a six. Yeah, I mean, I don't, so he's played. He's played plenty. He's a very well-rounded midfielder for a start. And um, I did a little a little tweet thread on this the other day. But like, he's like a very very intelligent player. Uh, one of our old guests, Mark Geshwind, uh, con- compared him to Thomas Muller in his kind of movement and his flicks and his tricks and his intelligence and and, and the way he moves. And that's kind of fair, I would say. So, would you wanna would you wanna put a player like that in a restricted kind of like? number six role to allow others to play I mean my answer is no I see I see him best for United as a rotator for for Pogba and for Bruno they obviously need that I think people are looking at this transfer and going well he's not what you need he's not he's not the number six that you need it's like fine but they need this as well that because they can't just have Pogba and Bruno play you know 60 games a season they'll break yeah. And we've seen at the end of last season, they have a starting 11 that works really well and almost nothing else. So this is something that United had to do. If they were looking at Madison, they were looking at Grealish and they couldn't feel like they could justify spending, you know, 60, 70, 80 million on a rotator. Well, you can justify spending 40. This is cheap for Van der Beek mm. because a player like this doesn't really come with many risks. A player this intelligent and this tactically clever and this well-rounded is not a risk. He's a really safe investment. Yeah. So... I think his role is actually not in the first 11 right now. I think he has to break into this team. But when one of Pogba and Bruno have to step out, because they'll play a game every three days this season, Van der Beek comes in perfectly reliable. I'm very concerned that Oli's going to try and play Pogba as a six. I've got this funny feeling that he's going to try and play Pogba deep. And it worries me like intrinsically. And look, I read a thing this morning about Oli seeing... Van der Beek's movement is similar to that of someone like Gerard or Lampard and the way that he can kind of ghost into the box. I mean, very much more Lampard than Gerard, in, in my opinion, but I saw this quote about how he can score goals and, and lose his marker and drift in late. And I thought that was a fair statement, but yeah. I am concerned that he's going to try and play all three of them together and it's going to make United unbelievably easy to play through. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit like when like when Arsenal used to play Jack Wilshere as the deepest midfielder and then like didn't play a, a, a physical or holding player next to him. And it was like, you just, you just get played through. You just get cut through. And it's just so easy to work the ball through the lines against those teams. So sure, you could play them against, like, you know, against a, a, you know, a relegation favourite at home. But even then, it's a risk. If that team has speed and just passes forward quickly, it's just not, it's not a setup that can work. And if he puts Pogba as the deepest in a six role, I will, I will have a fit because I will not be happy about that at all. Okay, all right. Let's roll this wheel for the last time today, but not the last time this year. Ooh, and we'll go to the other side of a rivalry. Number nine, and it just says Leeds United. Uh, so Batarai17 says, how far can Leeds go this season? Joe Citrone says, is Rodrigo a good signing for Leeds? Uh, and Shiv says, can we have an analysis of transfers and playing style for Leeds this season? I mean, we'll, we'll probably not give it the, uh, the full whack, Shiv, but we'll, we'll give it our best. Uh, Dean, you can start. How do you see Leeds getting on? I don't see him going very well. Um... I, I just don't have much faith in it. I think um, what the, the problem with Leeds is I think that they, their fans are so excited. They've got one of the best fan bases in the world, genuinely. Like their fans are brilliant and they're not going to be there. And I honestly think that that really, really is going to go against them because their team is decent at best. But is it any better than like Bournemouth last season? No, it's not as good as probably as Bournemouth last season, to be honest. Um, the options that they've got, they're going to be bringing in new people like Rodrigo. Like, is Rodrigo going to be a game changer? Is he going to score loads of goals? No, he's not going to score loads of goals. Um, I, I just don't think they're, 
that there is enough there for Leeds to do this. And I, I, I honestly think that Ellen Road, with Leeds fans, was a totally pro- different proposition to an empty Ellen Road, whereas you, you've got nothing to worry about apart from how do I get past Luke Ayling or whoever I'm up against today. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is really disrespectful what I'm saying here about Leeds, uh, but they're probably going to go back down. Well, I asked you earlier for a bold prediction and you gave me nothing and you have returned with a vengeance in the roulette section. So that's your, that, I mean, they are bold statements. Well, Sam, I, I know like, you even feel if differently. Things go well, even if things go well, something crazy is going to happen during the season, like Bielsa will walk out or there'll be a massive row or there'll be something going on with the owner. Like something, something will happen with Leeds this season. Like this isn't going to be a smooth ride where they finish like 12th. Um, that this is going to be a, a mad season. I, I am, I do feel like we're missing out a bit by not having fans, particularly now when Leeds are returning, because you know their away supporters, particularly, is really, really good. Yeah, I mean, Sam, I know you feel differently. I mean, Dean, I, I hope you know that just by uh, individually praising the fans three separate times through your statements doesn't really detract from the uh, sheer amount of disrespect. What's well, the just best thing they've time. got about them? I mean. I, I do disagree. Um, I think they're closer to a Sheffield United than a relegation candidate, to be honest. Um, I hadn't considered the the Ellen Road factor, but then again, they did just kind of grind out promotion quite easily at the end of the championship season with six wins in a row to finish it off. Like, I don't think they necessarily draw on that as much as, as some clubs would, like Sheffield United, probably, to be fair. Right, that'd be um, championship. But, uh, yeah, Bielsa, provided he doesn't, you know walk out or something happens I mean we can only we can only make these predictions and projections based on you know those kind of scenarios where it does kind of go reasonably to plan they've made some good signings they need some more the squad depth isn't there at all but the system is just quirky enough I think and the tactics are just innovative enough and just just different enough to give a lot of people a lot of problems over the course of the first half of the season as they adapt to it and so I think leads are that candidate for that kind of Hull City um, or Sheffield United run, or you know, where Leicester four four two counter attack their way to the to the league title. I think it takes. Who's going to score the goals? Who's going to score the goals? Rodrigo's going to score the damn goals. Rodrigo got like two goals last season. The whole of last season for Valencia was a total write off. Rodrigo is a Spanish national team caliber striker, and he is a baller. They have made an amazing signing in him, and it's going to be fine. I did, I did enjoy someone call it. I saw someone on Twitter call him the Paella Patrick Bamford, which made me laugh. Um, but Rodrigo I, is a quality player. I, I, also I also like Bielsa. I also Perfect like Bielsa. I just think it's Bielsa. It, it Leeds, Leeds will stay up because Bielsa. That is as simple as that. If they, if, if they had almost anyone else in charge, I would be like, this squad is doomed. But yeah. you look at the links they're with. You know, Rodrigo de Paul is linked. That would be an absolutely Ooh. outrageous I mean, signing. That be, yeah, that's an unbelievable signing. Josko Cavadios, he's linked. He, he looks like a really, really exciting prospect and someone that would. But this is it. You need energy. And you look at the, the Leeds signs, you look at the way they play under Bielsa, and so much of it is about energy, so much of it is about uh, the fact that they will press and counter press and and be so up and aggressive in your face and I, I think that that will do well in the Premier League I, I really do I think the Leeds will fly out of the traps yeah this is my my prediction well, is that they're, they've got Liverpool on the first day of the season by Christmas I think Leeds will be 10th I think they'll end up finishing 15th or 16th I think they'll survive like comfortably but low like sort of mid mid way down the lower half of the table but they will be close enough but I think it will be their start that gets Leeds out of this I think that yeah, I know I've been harsh on them but hey but you've, chose, but you've chosen to be harsh on them <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to pick someone that's going to be very good aren't you well yeah. pick Newcastle I'm, worried, I'm just well, worried that it's going to be Newcastle fun. win the league 
<laughs> what a return to the podcast this has been this for Jones. absolutely and with that I'm drunk I've been drinking for a week <laughs> he's moved into his new house and completely lost the plot uh, we lost Dean last week when he started singing about uh, Leeds and, and Patrick Bamford leading the line right that is pretty much all we have time for today um, this has been episode number 100 of BR Football Ranks and all that is left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones Cheers, mate, and thanks for everybody that stuck with us over 100 uh, episodes. We definitely got a loyal listenership here at at Ranks, and it it never drops below a certain number, so we know that there are thousands of you that tune in every week, no matter what, whether it's a pandemic, whether you're out and about at work, at school, at uni, whatever you're doing. So honestly, like, thank you for everyone that we've met along the way, Um, and we're going to try not to go anywhere for a while, um, and hopefully have plenty of more uh, shows and exciting stuff coming up when we're not stuck at home. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much, Sam Tai. Yeah, thanks very much, mate. And echo everything that Dean said. Met some amazing people and all of the, the, the weekly daily feedback, uh, Instagram DMs, Twitter DMs, mentions, all that stuff, all the comments. Uh, everyone that flags themselves up as a Rank Squad member and says hello. Thank you. I appreciate everything one of you. Absolutely. I've been Jack Collins. This has been BR Football Ranks. We love you, Rank Squad. Here's to the next 100 uh, and we'll see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.